You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. I encourage you to take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, right behind the part with your name on it. Amen? But may I say to you that every page of this book has your name and my name on it. Genesis chapter 4, when only the best will do. When only the best will do. It is the story of Cain and Abel, a story that I am sure you have heard many, many times. And today we're not only going to look at the story, but we're going to see how it relates to us. What does this say to us? Where do we fit into this story? Verse 1, Genesis 4. And Adam, he knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I've gotten a man-child from the Lord. And then she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. Now, this is the first thing we really know about Cain and Abel. They had much in common from the same parents raised in the same home. They were brothers. But this is the first time we see there was a little something different about them. Cain... He was the tiller of the ground, and Abel a keeper of sheep. They were both hard workers, both faithful workers. Continue looking. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. An offering. I want you to say it with me, though, and I want to say it a little differently. Cain brought an offering. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Cain brought an offering. Just any old offering. Kind of like when the, whenever the offering plate comes by and we, we give God a tip. We give him a little offering. Whenever I'm called upon to do something in the church, I say, well, I'll give God a little time. Ask to serve. I'll serve a little. He gave an offering. But then Abel, his brother, also brought, listen, of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. While Cain just brought an offering. Abel brought the very best, the the very purest, the most spotless, precious, fattest lamb. He brought the best he had, y'all. Now think about this. There was a real difference even at this point. Cain, he brought a dead offering. Once he plucked it from the vine, it was dead. It was lifeless. It was of no good, right? If he didn't give it to God, it wasn't going to be good for anything. It wasn't valuable at that point. Mm. But when Abel presented before the Lord, it was not an offering. It was a living sacrifice. There's the point. Let's continue looking. And the Lord then had respect unto Abel and unto his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very wroth. He was mad, y'all. And his countenance fell. You can tell looking in somebody's face when they get angry. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why are you so wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If you had done well, shall thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. In other words, you did it to yourself. Don't be mad at my response. You're the one that gave an offering rather than a sacrifice. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and he came to pass when they were out in the field. But Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he slew him. Slew him. and killed him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And 
Cain got a little smart with the Lord. He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Hmm. Let me just stop there, young people. I don't know why I pick on the young people. His response, now get this, y'all. His response shows something about his heart. If that makes sense, say amen. I mean, you can tell his attitude. There was something wrong with his heart, not just his offering. And he said, what, have, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood is crying unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which have opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. We, we know that story. Cain gave an offering. Abel gave a sacrifice. Cain got mad, took him out in the field, and Abel got killed. End of the story. No, 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 not at all. Friend, this morning I want to share just a few thoughts from this text on the subject when only the best will do. May I say to you, in all of literature, there's no more exciting, no more dramatic book, no more suspenseful book than that of the Bible. And in all of the Bible, there is no more intriguing book than this of Genesis. This morning, you and I come to an episode to which no soap opera could compare. We have a blessed birth, dueling siblings, a murder mystery, a cover-up. It's all here. All of the drama of the very first family leads us to examine salvation, sacrifice, submissiveness, and even worship. And to acknowledge the great truth. Beloved, when it comes to the King of kings and Lord of lords, when it comes to our maker, our Messiah, there is only one thing that should be upon our hearts. Father, we give you our best. Because for you, only the best will do. Father, in these few moments of study, bless, oh God, give unction and understanding to your precious word. Help the words of these pages to come alive in our hearts and our lives that we might leave this place changed for the glory of God. In Jesus' sweet name, amen. Three things very quickly. Number one, in this text we see that there was the best sacrifice. I've kind of already given you a little glimpse of that, looking at Cain's offering and Abel's sacrifice, kind of comparing the two. But I want you to understand very, very clearly here, in the very first few pages of Scripture, we find the blood of Jesus Christ sprinkled throughout every word. Sometimes we think, well, Jesus didn't come upon the scene to Bethlehem, but we find Jesus right here. Now we think about the sacrifice. We've sung about it already this morning, and we've talked about it already this morning. But think about the difference in a dead offering and a living sacrifice. Of all of the things that God in His providence could have chosen to send this earth, He sent His Son to be the propitiation, to be, to be the living sacrifice. I love Philippians chapter 2. The Bible tells us about Jesus was equal with God in every way, but yet He humbled Himself and He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, beloved, may I say to you that even in the book of Genesis, salvation was being pictured. We see the cross. The cross, the picture of perpetual pardon. I remember when I was younger trying to understand salvation and I would say, I get it. I understand that after Jesus died, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, that after that time, then people come to God through the gift of Jesus. But what about before the cross? It was still the cross. It was still the blood of Jesus. It was still the payment made possible on Golgotha's hill. As they look forward to the cross, we look backward at the cross, but it's still the cross. 
In Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 13, we see the picture of the Passover lamb. And if the blood was not upon the post of the doors of the home, the eldest child would be taken from them. Why? Because there was required a blood sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 says, Except there be the shedding of innocent, pure, holy, righteous blood, there is no remission of sins. Now you say, explain all of that to me. It is beyond explanation. I do not know why God required a living sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to atone for our sin. But beloved, that was, is, and forevermore shall be His atoning plan. His atoning plan. The perpetual pardon from generation to generation and generation to generation. It's all about the cross. A couple of things when we think about the cross in this particular text. Number one, we see in the book of Genesis there was a providential provision. Now think about that. Providential meaning God. Provision meaning provided. Right? God provided. All right, Adam and Eve had committed sin. God confronted Eve. Eve tried to deny it. She tried, he confronted Adam. Adam denied it, blamed it on Eve. Confronted Eve. She blamed it on Adam, blamed it on the serpent. Everybody's blaming everybody. But they realized that they had committed sin because they went and they hid from God. They realized at that point that they were naked. They were ashamed. They were at fault. They were separated. The fellowship had been broken. And what did God do? He provided. The Bible says in Genesis 3 and verse number 21 that God then clothed them with the skins of an animal. I remember years ago I was in Washington, D.C., took a youth group up there on a mission trip. And there was a, a bunch of people there from Peter, some other kind of group. And they were talking about how we ought not eat cows. We ought not eat beef. We ought not eat meat. I just had a, a whopper. And, uh, and I, I just couldn't help myself. I went over to this one little whippersnapper. And uh, he was wearing a real pretty pair of brown leather shoes. And I walked over to him. I said, nice shoes. He said, thank you. I said, let me ask you something, boy. I said, you reckon that cow just donated a little piece of his hide for them shoes? Or do you reckon that they had to kill him to get them shoes just like to get my whopper? Right? You understand the point. Friend, for God to clothe Adam and Eve of the skins of the animals, something had to die. Something had to pay the price. Something had to for their sins atone. Fast forward. Abraham and his blessed and beloved son Isaac climbing the mount for the day of sacrifice, which they had done times before. All along the way, you know, children have a way of asking questions, right? They're always asking questions. And I believe all the way up that mountain, Isaac was asking, Daddy, where's the lamb? Daddy, I've been with you before. Daddy, don't you realize you've forgotten something? Daddy, you forgot the lamb. Daddy, what about the lamb? Daddy, what about the lamb? And all of a sudden, there's Isaac laid out before God as a sacrifice about to be made. One last time, but daddy, I don't understand. Where's the lamb? And he said, God will provide himself a lamb. And all of a sudden, a rustling. I can only imagine the thrill in the heart of Abraham, the father, as he saw and he heard the experience of God providentially providing the ram, the sacrifice that would take the place of his son. If you're a father this morning, if you're a mother here this morning, you've got sons and you've got daughters. Friend, God provided himself a lamb so that your sons and that my sons and your daughters and my daughters might not have to pay their own sacrifice. God provided himself a lamb. 
And the voice of Isaac cried out all throughout the Old Testament, echoing through generation to generation through the corridors of time. But where's the lamb? But where's the lamb? But where's the lamb? And Isaac continued to ask and to proclaim in the voice of Father Abraham through generation after generation, God shall provide, God shall provide, God shall provide until one fateful day as John was baptizing along the river Jordan and he came up for air for a moment as he was baptizing one after the other and he saw the gate of his cousin. Oh, he leaped in the womb when he heard of his birth and he leaped to his feet and he cried out Behold Isaac, behold Abraham, behold all generations past and all generations ahead. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. You see the providential provision. God has provided himself a lamb. There was a cross with your sin debt and my sin debt upon every one of us. And Jesus Christ willingly suffered as the providential provision. But not only that, it was also the purest propitiation. (laughs) The purest propitiation, boy, that's a religious sounding little phrase. The purest propitiation. In other words, no payment would do except the purest payment. There was only one. There's never been a man or a woman who have ever been born that could save you and me except the one who died to save us. It was not just the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin. But the fact that he lived a sinless and a perfect and a spotless life. Listen, think about this. As a young lad, if Jesus would have smart-mouthed his mama and been disrespectful to his daddy and committed a sin, we'd be hopeless. If as a teenager he would have rebelled and gone out and lived it up and wasted his substance with riotous living as the prodigal, you and I would be helpless and hopeless. As a young adult, if he would have committed the very first sin, friend, you and I would be helpless and hopeless. We realize that when Christ went to Calvary, he was the only one that could because he was the only one qualified. And he was qualified not just because he was God's only begotten son, but because he was the sinless and spotless lamb of almighty God. He was the purest propitiation. For God so loved the world that he gave us his son. Oh, but thirdly, he was and he is the promised pardon. In this particular text, we see clearly the picture of the cross. When God allowed a second chance, if you will. God had provided perfection. Mankind, through his own sin, was separated from God, cast out of the garden. But God loved mankind so much that he said, I want them to have another way, another chance. 2,000 years ago, In a little obscure place called Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph made their journey. If you drive through Regalwood, you roll up your window. Because Regalwood's the stinky place. It's known for the paper mill. They say it smells like money. If you you go north on 87 and you drive through Tar Hill, you roll up your window. Because it's the place of the hogs. If you were to have traveled through Bethlehem, you would have rolled up your windows, beloved, because it was the place of the lambs. It was the place known for being an obscure and a tiny out-of-the-way place that nobody visited, nobody vacationed except when they had to or their taxes were due. It was the place that the Passover lambs were raised. And some 2,000 years ago, the Passover lamb was born. 
laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why? Because he was the promised pardon. The prophet Micah said it would be from Bethlehem that this heir of salvation would come. When we think about the sacrifice, I want you to hear this. When it came to your sin debt and my sin debt and what Jesus did upon the cross, think about this. The price was high. The penalty severe. But the payment complete. And the pardon absolutely full. Reminded of the story of the couple that loved to collect sculpture. They would in their travels pick up beautiful works of art and place it around their home and decoration. On one particular trip, the lady made the journey all by herself, her husband staying back home for work. And this was before the days of cell phones and emails and all of that. So if you wanted to communicate quickly with someone, the fastest means was through a telegram. Well, she found a beautiful sculpture, the prettiest thing she had ever seen, and she rushed to the telegram office to tell her husband the news. Her first telegram read this, Found, stop. Beautiful sculpture, stop. Loveliest I have ever seen, stop. Shall I purchase, end. Sent the telegram. The husband received the telegram and responded, I'm sure it is beautiful. Stop. Would love to have for our collection. Stop. What is the price? Sin. Well, when she got the telegram, she knew her bubble had probably just been busted because it was quite valuable and quite expensive. So she in return sent a telegram back to him. The piece is beautiful, but quite costly. Stop. The price is 5000 Stop. Shall I buy? Send. When the husband received that telegram, he could not believe she was even contemplating such a purchase. 5000 for just one piece. There was no way. Almost in anger, he responded by his final telegram. No, stop. Price too high. Send. A month would pass and the wife would return from her journey with the package. And she said, here it is. He said, here what is? She said, the sculpture we bought. He blew his top. What do you mean you bought it? I I, I specifically said that it was too expensive and, and not to buy it. She said, no, you didn't. They began to argue. And she pulled out the telegram and she said, there, look for yourself. And he read and the telegram said, no price too high. It seemed that the telegraph officer had made a mistake and he had left out the stop. Beloved, the night before Jesus' death upon Calvary's cross, as he sweat drops of blood in agony, he cried out, Oh, Father, no, no, stop, the price is too high. And then he realized through the corners of time, looking through history past to history future, and he looked at you and he looked at me and he said, No, Father, no, Father, There is no price too high. It is not my will, but thy will be done. Father, I am willing to go. You see, beloved, when Jesus died upon Calvary's cross, the cost was high. 
And the penalty was great. But for our pardon, He was willing to give Himself and to be the ultimate sacrifice. I'm thankful to know this morning that my Savior cried out, No price too high. When in any moment He could have stopped. And He said, It's too much. Oh, there was the best sacrifice we find in this text. Number two, we find a picture of the best submission. From the very beginning of time, mankind has struggled with who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to yield to? Who are we going to respond to? In James chapter 4 and verse number 7 and 8, the Bible says this, Beloved, submit yourselves therefore to God. Listen, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, if Eve would have only resisted. If Adam would have only resisted. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We are making a decision daily as to whom we will submit ourselves to. The definition of the word submit is to the yield to the authority or the will of another. Beloved, may I ask you today, are you submitting yourself to the will of God? Are you listening to the still small voice of the one who loves you? Or are you listening to the voice of the one who loathes you? Are you being directed by the Holy Spirit? Or are you directed, being directed by the prince of this world? You and I must submit to God's word through his spoken word, through his written word. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 3, the enemy looked at Eve and said, what did God say to you? And she said, well, God said we could eat of any of these trees except for there's one. And it is the forbidden tree. And Satan said, oh, God didn't really mean that. You can't take God at his word. You will not surely die. Wanting to cause Eve to doubt the word of God. And for all of these years, Satan has wanted to cause us to doubt the word of God. By the way, beloved, on a weekly basis, I hear stories about churches that are in dire trouble and closing their doors. And almost without exception, it is because they failed to resist the devil and they failed to submit themselves before God. We are to submit to God's word. Secondly, we are to submit to God's will. That is not our own will. Proverbs 14 and verse 12, the Bible says, there is a way that seems right unto us but the end thereof are the ways of death. We cannot trust our own instincts. We cannot even trust our own heart. The Bible says it is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can discern it? Who can know it? We must say, God, it is not my will, but God, it is your will. And thirdly, we must submit to God's work, His divine calling. Think about that. how that relates to Genesis chapter number 4. Cain and Abel were there and they had the choice whether they would submit to God's will or to their own will. Abel gave a gift according to the will of God. Cain gave a gift according to the will of Cain. Now think about that, beloved. Cain was faithful in his work. He tilled the land. Cain was faithful in his giving. He gave a gift. But Cain missed the point because he was out of God's will. I love you and I want you to understand this. You can attend church every time the day the doors are open. You can sing in the choir, serve on committees. You can be the pastor of the church, the deacon of the church, or anything else and still be out of the will of God. It is not about us saying, God, I'm going to serve you and God hears how I'm going to serve you. I talked to a pastor not too long ago and he said that they were thinking about he and his wife about where they would like, you know, to, to serve. And they said, you know, we'd like to serve in the mountains. And, and maybe after we get tired of that, we'd like to go down and serve at the coast. And after we get tired of that, maybe we'd like to come and serve, you know, out in the country. And then maybe we'd like to go over here and serve in the city. Bless God, listen, it ain't about where we want to serve or what we want to do or the gifts that we desire to give God. But it's saying, God, I want to give you that which you deserve, that which you desire. I want to be in your will. What separated Cain and Abel was their submission. Their submission. Friend, this just applies to our church as well. 
It always concerns me. I want you to hear this. It always concerns me when we take surveys. Now, don't misunderstand me. I think where there's uh, many counselors, there's great wisdom. But sometimes I get worried when we take surveys and we want to find out what everybody wants. You know? Do we want a big bus or a little bus? Do we want a white bus or a black bus? Do we want a bus with a bathroom or a bus with TVs? You know, that's important. You know? Do we want... Pay parking, do we want crush and run? Do we want, you know, azaleas in the, in the church garden? Do we want to have a cemetery? Do we want to have all these things? Ultimately, it's not about what you want, not about what I want, not about what the pastor, the deacons, it's about what God wants. And I'm saying, God, just allow us to be a part of what you're doing. The best submission, individually and as a church, God, we want to connect with you, not do our thing and say, God, just bless us. Number three, and I'm done. The best sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. The best submission, just submitting to God's will. And thirdly, the best worship, the best worship. Genesis 3, we see a picture of worship and fellowship being broken. What did Adam and Eve do before the sin? They worshiped. They had fellowship with God. They were in the presence of God. They were at peace. And then when sin entered in, it destroyed all of that. And the only way that you and I can worship is by having that relationship renewed. By having that fellowship come together. The Bible says that we are to worship in two ways, in spirit and in truth. Not one or the other, but both and. John 4, 24. Cain and Abel both appeared to worship, right? I want you to imagine if you were an onlooker, okay? And you're over here hiding in the bushes and you're watching. And Cain comes up with his offering. And he brings his offering before the Lord and lays it before the Lord. And Abel comes in there, eh, 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 you know. And, uh, and he, you like it? And uh, Roscoe did. And he lays his offering before the Lord. They both appear to be worshiping, right? Anybody would have said, wow. Adam and Eve sure did good with them two boys. You know? Adam and Eve were probably standing over in the corner going, we did such a good job. What did we do to deserve two such good boys? Look at them. They're in church every time the doors are open. You know. The fact of the matter is God looked right through it. God looked right through it. Here's the deal. Ultimately, the difference in Cain and, Adam, in Cain and Abel was not what their sacrifice was. It wasn't the fact that one gave a lamb and one gave fruit and vegetables. That's important and significant. We can make a point of that. But at the end of the day, it was what was behind their gift. Right? Right. Have you ever had to buy a gift for somebody you really didn't want to? You know? Like at Christmas. You mean we've got to get Uncle uh, Alfonso. I don't think there's an Alfonso. We've got to get Uncle Alfonso a gift this year. We don't even like Uncle Alfonso. And Uncle Alfonso don't ever give us a gift. So you either... Why is everybody looking at Rick Hatch? I mean, half the congregation is staring right at the man. All right? And here's what you do. You give them that bottle of canoe that's been floating through your family for the past 28 years. Right? You re-gift something. You, if you're like me, you give them the gift card somebody gave you to... What's that place you drink coffee? Starbucks. Pause. We have got, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this, the most delicate staff you can imagine, right? 
when I go to Fayetteville, I want to go to K&W. Amen? All right, I want to go to K&W. It's right across from the hospital's convenient. But, but then we got to go by Starbucks. And all these places, you know, are the wing stop. Oh, come on, dude. Anyway, you give a gift that really doesn't matter to you. You say, well, you know what? I'm going to give him a gift so that I can say I gave him a gift. Has anybody ever done that? Right? I know you ladies when y'all come to showers. Y'all better keep up. Y'all better keep up because them showers happen to Fellowship Hall. I hear there's some gifts showing back up. Right? Let me ask you something. I love you. I want to ask you something. When you give God a gift, what kind of gift is it? I got your attention now, but what kind of gift is it? Is it a gift that really didn't cost you anything? Is it a gift that really didn't matter that much anymore? I've always wondered, think about this. If we had church at 7.30 on Friday night, how many people would come? Right? I love the early worship service and all that kind of stuff, but a lot of people would come and say, you know, it just it, we, we were able to get it over with early. Wow, really? And you say that to the preacher? <laughs> you know, man, Right? Imagine if instead of God saying our tithe is 10%, imagine if our tithe was like 40%. Yeah. Here's the difference. Hebrews 11, I'm about done. We're not in church tonight, so you get out, out of that tonight. So I'll give you just a little extra. Here we go. And everybody knows Hebrews 11. If you don't know Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 is God's hall of faith. It is the place that God puts a list of people who are so very faithful. Here we go. Number one on the list is Abel. It's Abel. Now look, here's here's what it says. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Wow. By which he obtained witness that he was the righteousness, God testifying of his gifts. And even though he died, he still speaketh. Here's what separated the two. There was faith behind his offering. Tommy, I'm always amazed when I, I hear about churches that are struggling and fighting and, and they're struggling over what kind of music we're going to have because this crowd likes this kind of music and this crowd likes that kind of music or, you know, all these kind of things. You know, I had somebody come up to me a while back, honest, true story. And uh, they, they, they said, you know, they said, I, I was out in town the other day and I saw this preacher and he had on blue jeans. And I thought, and I looked down and I was wearing blue jeans and I thought, how am I going to cover up? Right? You know, these are really suit pants. They just got faded out. I don't know what I was going to tell him. But all of these things and you think, what happened? Why is it that we're so divided? Well, I believe it's because so many people give a, an offering that's not faith-based. I come to church because it's what my mama did and what my mama told me I should do and what my grandma did and what my grandma told my mama all to do. And it's just a generational thing. It is a guilt thing. It is a customary thing. It is a ritual thing. But at the end of the day, is it a faith thing? Think about worship. There's a mandate of worship all throughout the book of Psalms. It says we are to give a sacrifice of praise. There's a motivation of worship. I want to come into his presence. I want to, I want to glorify him. It's not about coming to church and hoping the choir sings something that makes me want to tap my foot and my heart pound out of my... I want to sing something that I can be before the Lord and I can talk not just about him, but I can talk to him and I can sing for him. There's the means of worship. I wish we had time to camp out, but we're about done. The means of worship, our preaching, our teaching, our music, our giving, our praying, all of these things, these are means that we use to worship Him. They're more than just the parts of a service. 
Why do we do what we do for the Lord? And how do we do what we do for the Lord? Whatever we do, we're to do heartily as unto Him. The mindset of worship. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. We're going to go through a building process over the next year or so, I hope. Got to. And I hope we can keep our eyes focused on Him. You know, not about brick and mortar. Not about what I want, about what you want. But Lord, how can we accomplish kingdom work most effectively? Our mindset is all about you. And finally, the message. The message of our worship. What is it saying? You, God alone, are worthy. You are the righteous one. We praise you. Lord Jesus, it is all about you. Lord Jesus, it is all about our relationship with you. Let me ask you this as we close. Do you have Jesus in your life? Do you have Jesus in your life? About a year ago, a buddy of mine who's a realtor, he said, hey, ride with me. I want you to look at a house. I said, cool. It's a big mansion. One of the biggest mansions in all the county. Beautiful. Stately house, built in the days right after the Civil War. We went in and I was in awe walking around in these huge ceilings and columns and all the beautiful plank floors. It was just unbelievable, the most beautiful house I've ever been in. It was sparsely furnished. There were some furnishings in there, but just kind of hit and miss, hodgepodge, a little of this and a little of that. And I said, what's the deal with the furniture? He said, well, now get this, y'all. Don't miss this. He said, well, after the old man who owned the house died, His family came in and they got everything that they wanted. And then they just left the rest and it goes with the house. You follow me? Say amen. Okay, don't miss this. I said, really? He said, yeah. They came in, got everything they wanted and just left the rest. Then he said, go look in the humidor. So I walked over behind the set tee. And I opened the humidor. And there was a cardboard box containing the old man's ashes. And it hit me. You know, that's what people do with God. They come into his house maybe two, three times a week. And they get the stuff that they want. I love our fellowship. I like our singing. I like having people to lean on. I like having a family. So we get his stuff. Just the stuff we want. (laughs) Not all of it, just the stuff we want. But ultimately we've never taken him. Ultimately we don't want him. ask you today, have you ever taken Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Have you ever taken Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Last story. Friday a week ago, bless your heart, y'all have had to hear this all twice. <laughs> Last Friday a week ago, I responded to an invitation. I wasn't worthy of the invitation. I don't know exactly how I got it, but I got it. 
there was an invitation from the governor to come to the mansion and have a meeting with him. Side note, we talked for two hours about bathrooms, but that's a whole other story. I got there about an hour early. I opened my invitation up and looked at it. And it told me the address of the governor's mansion, where to park. And when I got there, the one gate that I could enter into. I found the one gate and I stood there kind of trembling, kind of nervous, thinking, Lord, please don't let me do anything, make a fool out of myself in front of the governor. And then I began thinking about how this, just like the scriptures say, Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way of salvation, right? Not 10 ways to heaven, not 20 ways to heaven, one way to heaven. Finally, two o'clock came, time for my appointment. Young man walked out the front doors of the governor's mansion, walked down the steps and across a, big, a brick walkway. He got to the gate and he unlocked the gate and I was able to step a few paces in. And I said, I'm here to see the governor. And he said, yes, sir, what is your name? And I told him, he said, wait right there. And he turned around and he went back to the little, there was a little lectern kind of like this one. And he pulled out a leather binder, a little notebook. And he laid it on top and he opened it and I was standing there kind of looking over. And he started at the top. Now, my last name is McGill. And ever since I was a little boy, I was always not first, not last, somewhere right in the middle. And he began looking. And the lower he got on that list, my heart began to pound. I thought I was going to hyperventilate there. And I mean, you know, I, I, just, I didn't know what they were going to do. They were going to throw me out. I didn't know how I was going to get in and all these kind of things. And he got down to the middle of the list and his pen stopped. And he put a check. And he said, Mr. McGill, come right on in. The governor is expecting you. I had about 30 paces to walk before I got into that house. And me and the Lord had us a good time. I had a shout and spell. I was so grateful to find out this guy was, was a believer because he'd have probably arrested me if he wouldn't have been. Because I began thinking about how there's only one gate and his name is Jesus. And how a long time ago when I was an eight-year-old little boy, he sent an invitation. I don't know why and I don't know how. I sure wasn't worthy. But on that invitation was my name on that particular day. And I had the good sense to respond to that invitation. And I approached him in great, with, with grateful heart. And friend, one of these days there's going to come a reckoning. There's going to come a day of judgment. There is a book and it's already there. And I'm thankful they write in it, not in pencil with an eraser and not in pen that's got some white out, but in a permanent, a permanent indelible marker that is signed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days they're going to look through that book and they're going to get from the A's all the way down to the MC's. And when they get there, there's my name, not because I deserve it, have done anything to, to in any way to have earned it, but they're going to say, yes, your name is in the book of life. Check it off. Come on in. The Lord's been waiting on you. Friend, may I ask you today, if, do you know that you know that you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Do you know that you know that you know that you've accepted that gift where Christ cried out, no price is too high? Whatever it might be this morning, friend, there is no substitute for the sacrifice and the atoning work of the cross, your church attendance, your faithfulness to serve, and all of these things will be all for naught unless you have done eternal business with Jesus, the only one that can and the only one that would save your soul 
and my soul. Father, as we come into a time of invitation, Lord, the preacher's done speaking, probably said too much, but I pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would speak now to every heart and to every mind and into every life represented in this room. And, oh God, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that if there's one that has never accepted, Lord, the invitation from Almighty God through the blood of Jesus to be born again, to be saved, that this would be the day before it's eternally too late that they would allow their names to be written in the Lamb's book of life for all eternity. Oh, God, I pray that you would do that which no other can do and only you have done. Oh, God, this morning, show up again and show out and do your work in Jesus' sweet name. Amen.